the core cast. Welcome to Shoot the Corecast, the official companion podcast to the RF Generation Shmup Club. This is a family-friendly shmup-themed podcast that brings a bacon for your shmup sandwich. I'm Addicted, also known as Addicted to Shmups, and with me as always, I have... Metal Frill, also known as the Game Boy Guru. And we're going to start with a little bit of a correction this time. No yeah. part of our 2020 New Year's resolution. <laughs> so. Yeah. When when we did our Jamestown episode, um, we absolutely I dropped the ball, and I should have mentioned Alva, uh, who is has been kind of going and deep diving into the game and learning scoring and routing and and different things about the game, and he's got some YouTube videos that he's put up, and um, has really been digging into Jamestown Plus quite a bit. And so I knew he had been doing that some uh, during the course of the month while we were playing it. And I had seen some stuff from him and I just completely slipped my mind to mention that during the podcast recording. So anyway, I wanted to throw that out there that definitely um, big, big shout out to... uh, Alva, because he did the commentary during this, the Shmup Slam 3 run, and like I said, he's, he's doing deep dive YouTube videos on the game in terms of figuring out scoring and routing and all that, so uh, definitely some, some quality work going into uh, Jamestown. So if you, if you heard that episode and you like the game or you like what you heard and you want to find out more about it, that's where you need to go. I don't have a link to his YouTube channel right handy, but let us know and I can get that for you. Because, uh, you know, if you look up Jamestown Plus on YouTube, you ought to be able to find it. Now that the correction's out of the way, we'd also like to mention the RF Generation community playthrough of the month in the RF Generation playcast, as well as the shout out to the RF Generation collector cast. Harf Generation is a great way to catalog your games as it's not just US-centric. We have tons of obscure systems and games and region variants. And recently they've been doing a large push to add more Steam games, some Origin games in there. So it's a good way to keep track of everything. I don't know if you're like me, you end up with so many Steam games due to... All of these sales, <laughs> trying to remember what the heck, which ones you have is definitely hard to do. Right. Well, and I don't know, I don't know, you know, with some of the other game databases that are out there right now, I think RF Generation might be the biggest, uh, if not the absolute largest database. Certainly, we got to be in the top three uh, in terms of the number of games and the different variants of things. So, if you collect physical games at all, even if it's a small collection, it's worth going on the site and cataloging your games so that when you're out searching for stuff or you're looking online and something catches your eye, you can double check 
to make sure that you don't already have it, um, you know, or see if it's something that you want to wish list. It is all free to use, and don't forget, we also have an active Discord community where we have our own Shoot the Corecast topic within the channel. Plus, we've got articles on the front page and community forums. Lots of great resources there at rfgeneration.com. It's also the only database that's on Channel 3. <laughs> that's right. So, for the month of December 2020, we decided to keep things a little bit simple because we knew that everybody was going to be busy with Zooms and Skypes and, uh, you know, gathering around the laptop. Right. So, oh, we picked one, a Caravan shooter. I believe it's our first Caravan shooter, right? It is. All right. And that is Flight of the Pigaris. A Caravan shooter is... Something that would travel around in Japan like like a nomadic caravan, and they would hold scoring competitions. They're timed, and usually I think five and ten minutes is usually the standard times. In this case, we're dealing with two minutes and five minutes. Right. And the goal will be who would, whoever would win who would get the top prize. I think the closest that we came with a caravan mode here in the U.S. would be Nintendo World Championships. Yes, that that would be a good. A good analog for that. I would like to see like a, a, a Pigris World Championships or something flying through. That would be pretty neat. Anyways, so going with these modes here, the two-minute mode has a mini-boss and a boss. And the five-minute is a two-minute mode content plus additional stage enemies and mid mini-boss or mid-size enemies. The second boss is totally different than the first boss. I like to call it a a, a, a one-all versus a two-all. Certain way that the the two-minute mode would be the one-all and the five-minute would be a two-all. You get pretty much the same thing as you would with the five-minute. Sorry, the five-minute mode would give you pretty much the same thing as the two-minute, but it would be harder and you end up with a different boss. I ended up liking the way that the five-minute mode does the. It gives you more more of a game and more to see. It seemed more of a complete, where the two-minute mode felt maybe a little bit rushed, but would be a little bit easier to t- keep with scoring. What what are your thoughts on this, Fro? Yeah, I mean, right out of the gate, I think the two-minute mode is probably easier to optimize just because it's so much shorter uh, so that you can kind of plan your approach and there's a lot less to take into account. But the five-minute mode... Because it has two bosses and, you know, you really have to learn how to take out that first boss quickly in order to maximize the amount of time that you have to get through the rest of the the stage and to that second boss, the five-minute mode definitely has a lot more, I would say, a lot more appeal for pure score chasers just because there's so much more to shoot and so many more opportunities to earn points in the five-minute mode. And so the the ability to maximize your score in that is probably a lot greater. You know, another analogy stuck in my mind is maybe that the two-minute mode is more akin to a shareware version. For those familiar with like Wolfenstein 3D or Doom, you get the first episode for free, and then after that, you've got to pay for the rest. So... So that reminds me of that. To get the, to get the full experience, pay us for the five-minute mode. 
Yeah. So the other part about interesting about this is it's not your conventional two button or or even three button shooter. It just has one button. There's no bombs or anything. It's just pure rapid fire shooting. Right. Now there is a second button, but all it does is switch you between different speeds that you fly around the screen. Um, so like the default speed is sort of like a, a low to medium speed. And I think there are three other settings I want to say, and then it cycles back to the beginning. Well, I, I would just say compared to all the stuff that we've been playing previously, where there True. was either a bomb or there was a focus shot and then a bomb on here. It, it's very simplistic. And I think it, that it, any, adding any more elements to this would have just muddled the waters on Something like this. I, I think it, yeah. it was good to have it. I mean, changing the speed, yes, but having just one button that you're primarily focused on. Yes. It was also really nice that it has auto fire. <laughs> oh, indeed. And, and it's also nice it doesn't penalize you like <laughs> a certain game we'll talk about later. Yeah. It definitely had some, you know, that sort of quality of life. Um, aspect to it with both the speed change and the auto fire being built in. You know, I know that was one of the things with uh, you know the Hudson Caravan shooters where you had the the little speed test peripheral that they put out that Hudson put out with the B on it that you could test how quickly you could tap your thumb on the button for for shooting games and things. Yeah, that's a Takahashi Majin. Um... Yes shooting something i forget the name of it yeah they, there's it's like shooting calculator or something like that like that you but yeah i mean you know with a lot of those games you know you're you're sitting there ramming your thumb on the controller and and just going nuts with it whereas with this game realistically unless you want to flutter the button or ram down on it a bunch you can just hold it down and concentrate on movement on controlling the screen space and routing through the level to be able to get the maximum number of points and make sure you're hitting as many targets as possible. I did a quick uh, look up here. It's called the uh, Shooting Watch. Ah, yes. Yep, and Takashi Majin was made famous because, uh, if I remember correctly, Star Soldier, he could press the button and get 16 shots off per second. (laughs) That's ridiculous. Yes, hit and you can push a button continuously no less than 16 times in a second. So, yeah, I mean, he watching video on him from uh, Game Center CX, he really can still nail that button. Wow. And as most people who listen to this podcast, I'm just guessing, would know, Takahashi Majin was put in as a mascot for West Stone's game for Hudson, which became Adventure Island. Okay, yes. Yeah, so he he became the CEO of Hudson and was the model for Master Higgins. <laughs> Very cool. You can do a lot if you can press a button sixteen shots per second. I guess so. I would still. I think it'll be great to meet him one day or to you know, maybe get get one of the uh, controllers signed by him. I think that would be a cool thing to have. Right. All right, now that we've talked about 
what it takes to press buttons here. The gameplay is pretty simple. It's typical caravan style where you shoot everything on screen for points. There's not really a, it's a one button game. There's not a lot of nuance on here. You're not going to try and rush your enemies like in Ketsui. You're not going to try and maneuver and, you know, just shoot three enemies here and then shoot the red one. It's pretty much shoot, 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 shoot everything in sight. Right. You know, you're, you're very, very arcade-like, you know, just like... So, the power-ups in the game are flying peas or peas with wings. And sometimes they can be found as pea boxes on the wing. You can power up your flying pig or pigaris up to four times. And each time, I think the second one is a back shot, and the third one's more like a spread, and the fourth one gives you a little bit more of a spread on the back and the front, if I remember correctly. Yeah, it's like you start with a dual forward fire, and then you get a spread fire, and then your spread uh, covers behind you, and then and then the, the final power-up gives you not only that spread, but then a dual forward shot as well. And I love how it's the power-ups are tied into your health system. As you start up, each time that you are hit, it subtracts a level, so it makes things harder to hit. And so if you're at level four and then you're hit, then you can take three more hits before you die. Basically, when you get back to the initial power level one, where you just have the straightforward shot, if you get hit at that, Pigaris will die or perish. Yeah. So it's interesting. It's not very something that comes across naturally, but once you understand how it works, it really flows well into the game. Yeah, and, you know, there's different approaches to caravan shmups where some of them you have a set number of lives to use within the time limit. There are some that you have unlimited lives within the time limit, but because of the respawn, there's always, you always lose a little bit of an opportunity there during, between the explosion and the respawn to score more points. Uh, Whereas this, you have just the one life, but as long as you're constantly getting power-ups along the way, you can sort of maintain that during the course of your run, which I really appreciate. And it's it's very Compile-esque in the sense of as you collect power-ups and, and go up in the strength of your ability to shoot things down, then as you take hits, that goes down, but you're not dying. And so that's kind of a, a common thing with Compile shooters and... And also some Hudson shooters, so it's it's very similar to that. But it's also compile esque in terms of the P icons, how they sort of, you know, you shoot them down and then they come down at you. They don't just fall off the screen; they do kind of bounce around a little bit. But it definitely feels very compile in its in its approach. Yeah, at some point in there, I was expecting a number of power ups to come flying on the screen. <laughs> yeah. Well, and also, you know, like I said, there's kind of some Hudson in there as well, because when you're fully powered up and Pigaris is shooting diagonal four ways and twin shot ahead of you, that's very Star Soldier. Um, so, you know, it sort of takes a little bit of that DNA as well. 
One thing I wanted to bring up here is a couple of details about the uh, developer, because I think it's interesting. Uh, this is a homebrew, actually, uh, and I think we forgot to mention, this is for the Sega Master System. So this is a homebrew game for the Sega Master System, developed by one person who goes by the name of Kagesan, and this was released free to download in 2018. He's also done another game called Baraburu, which is a single-screen action game similar to something like Bubble Bobble or Snow Brothers. And one really cool thing about this is that it's uh, both of those games are getting a physical release through a new outfit called Two Minds, which is a French, uh, small French company. And I went ahead and ordered the uh, physical version of this, which is is going to be neat because the physical cartridge, even though it won't have a battery in it, it's going to have the ability to basically save your high scores so that when you boot up the cartridge every time, you'll be able to see what your previous high score was and you'll be challenging to try and and beat that. Now, he, he does have uh, a code that you can enter to reset the scores, but it's kind of a neat feature that I think, you know, we didn't really see much of until probably the 32-bit era when you started to have things like the save RAM or the save memory in the Saturn and dedicated memory cards on the PlayStation where for arcade ports and games like that, that you can actually save your high scores. You know, I still have save files on my original PlayStation memory card from the Raiden Project and Raystorm and Einhander and some of these games that still have my my high scores recorded on them. And so it's a that's a cool little feature that the physical release is going to have. Yeah, it, it's just interesting to see some uh, Master System homebrew in general. Usually with a homebrew, you get your NES on there and you get your Genesis or the, the two, or um, Mega Drive are the two main ones. I mean, we're just barely getting to the point where we're starting to see some Saturn homebrew or something expanding out of your standards. And it's nice and refreshing to see a well-made game and a game on the Master System. Yeah. In fact, I'm trying to think of the last time we saw something like... Oh, the, I mean, aside from Pigris, what was the last game you think of that was a homebrew on the Master System? You know, I can't really think of any. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, that, there was a GameSack episode that came on earlier that was uploaded today that Joe talked about a, uh, a ROM hack for the Master System that is basically like a total conversion of Alex Kidd and Miracle World where the graphics and most of the sound is redone and it looks and plays totally different. But again, that's just a ROM hack. This is a from-the-ground-up kind of project. So, definitely a lot less common. It's interesting. I mean, it would make sense that it would be done from a... French or European studio, that's where the Master System had the most sway, is in Europe. In America, it was distributed by Tonka, and is in its time, and even still, 
I would say to this day, relatively obscure. Yeah. Out of all the Sega systems, it's probably the least known, at least in the U.S. Yeah. I mean, I I knew of it back in the day because there were a couple of kids in my school who had them. And so I had the opportunity to play, you know, two-player Double Dragon, and I got to play Shinobi and Hang On and a couple of other things um, briefly. But it wasn't until many years later when I had a Genesis and I bought a power base converter and then started to find a handful of Master System games at game stores and things that I actually began to kind of get into it a little bit more. But even with that, you know, I still only have maybe a dozen Master System games. You just bought it for that box art, that grid box art drew you in. <laughs> yes, it was it was the grid box art. <laughs> No, I mean, I I was first aware of the Master System because of a friend who <clears throat> found one at a game store when they were clearing some out. They, I think he paid like 15 bucks for a box system when they are clearing some. I was like, what is this thing? And I really liked Alex Kidd and Miracle World. It made a huge impression on me when I played it. And I started gotten back to trying some stuff. I <clears throat> Fantasy Star was a big one. I first... Ended up getting that game several, several years ago after hearing great things about it and played through it and finished it just right before my son was born. And that still holds incredible memories for me there. It's a unique system that I think anyone who has a chance to try it certainly should. Yeah, I mean, you know, when I when I heard about it back then, I was really impressed with the uh, Shinobi version that's on the master system uh, because i was a big fan of the arcade game and even though they changed it up a little bit to make it a little bit more friendly for a home console release it still basically felt like the shinobi i played in the arcade but just downsized a little bit it certainly was a lot closer of an arcade conversion than i think most of what we saw on the nes ended up being uh, right for, for stuff like around that time. Double Dragon. Oh yeah. And Double Dragon. It, I really like the version. I mean, I like the NES version for its own anything, but the, the NES version is almost like mixed with uh, LRPG elements in some ways. Right. It's very different versus what you get on the arcade. And what I was thinking, Ghostbusters was sort of the same game. It was better. And there, if you want to look at some of that stuff, I'm certain you can find some of the stuff on GameSack. But the Master System is definitely worth exploring in just to see how they got around some of the limitations. Like Golden Axe, although it's not a particularly well-playing game on the Master System, it's neat to see how they did that and were able to, what they were able to get out of the system. Right. I, I'm 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 like you. I'm waiting for my pigoris in the mail eagerly, my flying pig in the mail. Yeah. So um, both games, uh, and just in case we haven't said it before, both games can be freely downloaded and demoed on your emulator or Mister. Yes. Yeah. In fact, that's how I was playing it all month was uh, on the Mister because I was able to use my arcade stick, and that certainly helped me to. I think find a rhythm with it a little bit 
easier and uh, also made it <laughs> probably easier on my on my wrist, you know, using the stick instead of trying to mash on a D-pad. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. So, we're talking about the Master System. There, one of the major features of the Master System is it can have a lot more color on screen than the NES. And I think that the color in Picares really shines. Everything is so clear and vibrant. There, it, It's almost like Cunemup level, but it's not saccharine. It, it, it just, everything is bright and well defined and I didn't find myself wondering where I got hit from if a bullet came out of somewhere. There's nothing where you, you have orange bullets that match a orange background. Right. Everything seemed well defined. I could see the ducks in there, the bunnies, the cows. There, I mean, there, there are a couple of nods. Speaking of the ducks, the ducks look exactly like the ducks from Duck Hunt. And there, uh, did you know some other enemies that were from other games that maybe I glossed over? Yeah, there's one. There's one section where there are cows sort of flying or parachuting. I don't know for sure, but it almost felt like that would have been a like a Moochie Moochie pork homage or reference of some kind because okay i know i've seen something like that i just can't exactly say what game it was from but that you sure was it wasn't from chick-fil-a <laughs> eat more chicken yeah but there there are a lot of a lot of little nods in this game i mean some of the targets that you shoot are these sort of pinkish purplish little pots that are straight out of of the Legend of Zelda A Link to the Past and there are these little boxes that also look like they're probably ripped right out of the game there are bushes that look very similar to those as well you know there are these fun little haystacks that you can shoot for points yeah it, 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 without the flying ships it really did remind me a lot of Twinbee yeah and a lot of the enemies have this cute look to them. There are these green blobs that, when they kind of stop and then change position, they sort of, when they halt, they sort of squish together and get tall and then go back to their normal shape when they change direction to kind of come and, and get you. And that was kind of a nice little, a nice little um, animation bit. But... Uh, yeah, there there are a lot of references in this game. I did. I don't think I probably caught them all uh, no. when I was going through. Oh, and then the chickens. There's these From chickens Zelda. that fly that are, of course, just like the um, the cuckoos in the Legend of Zelda series. Yeah, I think it's safe to say it wears its influences on its sleeve. Oh, for sure. But I think it's it's fun because it's all very tongue in cheek and and uh, there's no story to speak of. It's just shoot everything that moves and also everything that doesn't. And you know it's just fun to look at because it's so bright and colorful and the graphics are really well done. And yeah, it just it just kind of I don't know. It's just visually very pleasing. Yeah, and we talked about the P icon before. It really looks like it came out of a compiled shmup. Right, and there's also one enemy type that sort of looks like the little 
I can't think of what it's called now, but the the one up from Zanak. There's there's at least one enemy type that sort of bears a resemblance to that. There was some talk on one of my streams uh, about the boss at the end of the two minute mode, who also shows up as the first boss in the five minute mode, is this sort of robot bull head, and the design of it, the angle that it's presented at, everything looks a lot like the Chicago Bulls logo. I think that was just DJ Psycho leaning into it a little bit. Well, it might have been him or Detoxton. You know, it, it it could be just a coincidence, but it looked an awful lot like like the Chicago Bulls uh, logo. So I thought that was kind of a funny a funny thing. And then, of course, you mentioned the ducks. You know, one of the things in the in the two minute mode is there's a section where ducks come flying from the bottom of the screen up. So you have to not sit at the bottom of the screen, but try to keep more toward the middle. Uh, and they look exactly, as you said, they look exactly like the ducks in Duck Hunt when you miss and they fly away. And uh, so that's a fun little nod as well. Yeah, I mean, all the enemies in there are of an animal variety, except for maybe the TLB or the boss of this five-minute mode is more like a blob with a cow in the middle. Right. And that blob is something that as our previous game here in November, what was that, Stage 3 with the uh, Lady of the Lake? Oh, right. Reminds me a lot of that. And and that's been a variation of a theme I've seen before, where you just have this big black blob with an eye and something circles it. And, and you can say the same thing, too, that there was stuff like that in Fantasy Zone, right? Sure. So that that's a variation on a theme there. It was still well done. I just, it was definitely something that may have been influenced from there. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that I noticed in the game is that the sound is really good. And I know that the Master System is not renowned for its for its sound, like the NES is, because the PSG sound is, uh, I'm going to say, fairly simplistic next to some of what the, what the NES was doing. Now, of course, there are some European devs who really got a lot out of the PSG in the Master System, toward the end of its life and beyond. And, you know, some of the stuff that you saw at the end of its life, they really kind of bringing some of what they had done with all the microcomputer uh, stuff for years and years, working with the, the Commodore 64 and and some of those other platforms, really were able to do some cool things with it. But, by and large, I think PSG music is not looked on as fondly as NES music and certainly is not as layered in a lot right. of ways. And same thing with uh, with the Famicom and the Famicom having that sound expansion and <clears throat> that and there. Well, yeah, it was certainly not, at least in the U.S. in the ways that it was done. It, and, and to be fair, I still prefer the PSG versus the synth sound of stuff like Fantasy Star. I have a soft spot for that i at first i thought well i gotta get a master system or i gotta get a um what's one with the built-in converter you have that right the one that was done by oh renee yes. from db electronics yeah the i, um, I, I thought the yeah, the sense sound was going to be the be all end all but it yeah the power base fm PSG. yep yeah i i've come to prefer the psg in the majority of stuff it just sounds right to my ear. I guess it's sort of the same way of asking somebody what model Genesis sounds right to you. Sure. 
Yeah, and I think most people would say a Model 1. I would imagine most, yeah. Yeah, I mean, having said that, you know, there are some there are some games with good FM sound, so it would have been fun if Kage-san had attempted to include an FM soundtrack in this game, but I understand why he didn't, because the only territory that got the FM included in the hardware was Japan. There was no FM synth in, as far as I know, in any of the other models. So no FM synth in the US model or in the European models or even in Brazil, as far as I know. So it makes sense that he would just do PSG music. But having said that, and I think because, probably because he knew he was it was going to be a short game that you were going to play over and over, and it was something where you really don't want to get tired of that music. Um, he probably went about designing that in a different way uh, to make sure that he did something that was memorable. And I really think he knocked it out of the park. The music that plays during the game is very fun. It's kind of bright and bouncy, and it fits the game perfectly. And I'm not going to say it's overly memorable, but it doesn't necessarily have to be because it's just well composed enough to fit exactly what's going on on screen. And that's all it needs to be. But I enjoyed it and I was kind of humming and whistling it during the course of the month as I was playing the game. And, you know, I couldn't whistle it for you now that we're a couple weeks out from that, but I know I enjoyed it, and, you know, it's it's something that I think, if Kage-san designs more games in the future, I could see a bright future for the kind of chiptune material that he'll come up with. Well, he or she, I guess I don't know. But um, whatever Kage-san does in the future, in terms of PSG and chiptune, I will be interested to hear, because I think... What is included for Flight of Picarus is good stuff. And I would say the same thing uh, about the sound effects as well, because, you know, I think they work for the game. I don't know that anything stands out too much other than there's a couple of effects that are, are pretty, I'll say, pointed, um, just to let you know when you get bonus points and things like that. Otherwise, everything sounds pretty good, and it it's... I would say it's pretty on par with a lot of other uh, Master System games of this type from, you know, kind of that era. Overall, I think the sound in this game is pretty strong showing. Oh, I absolutely agree. I think that it's very comparable to, or comparable to Fantasy Zone. I think it's very upbeat. There, the sound effects have a certain whimsical feeling without going overboard on there it's something that you can just hum along happily with it and it'd be interesting to see what type of experiments he can do with this in the future yeah all right so now let's move into scoring there are just a, a couple of strategies obviously you want to shoot everything everything that moves and everything that doesn't because almost anything on the ground that looks like you can destroy it, you almost can. So boxes, pots, haystacks, you name it, it's probably something that you can blow up. And even though even though you don't get 
any higher than power level 5 as you collect power-up chips, you still get points for them. So as you're blowing up the boxes and the flying power-up chips that uh, show up on screen, if you can, it's advantageous to collect to continue to collect those because you still get points for those. One of the secret bonuses in the game is the mid-boss that comes in is this sort of uh, large black orb that comes in and it uh, appears in four pieces and then sort of uh, comes together horizontally to make two half circles or half spheres and then comes together in the middle. If you can get Pigarus into the center of that and basically destroy that orb before it comes together, you get a 5,000 point uh, bonus for doing that. There are also several areas within the game on the ground that you can shoot. Uh, areas of the ground that don't have anything on them, that don't look like they can that you can destroy them. But if you do, uh, it will reveal a little star and you can you can get a thousand points for each one of those that you reveal. I want to say there's maybe two of those locations in the two minute mode and then a couple two or three more in the five minute mode. Uh, I, I gotta, I'll have to go back and watch Zoido's runs because he uh, was searching for those and trying to find those uh, as he was doing it. I'm aware of two in the two second mode aside from the boss. Right. Oh, sorry, two minute mode. Two right. second mode. That's all you get. <laughs> uh, the other, the other big point bonus you can get is if you, if you end up with time left on the clock when you destroy the boss, for each second that you have left, you get an additional five hundred points. So if you can really optimize your run and also really optimize how quickly you can take out the bosses then you can really rack up some additional points doing that. Uh, I know when I, at first, I was having a hard time in the two-minute run just beating the boss within the time limit. And the thing to remember in terms of strategy for that is to make sure that you have the double forward fire. So if you can power up all the way before you get to the boss and you have the double forward fire, make sure you're concentrating that on the green uh, thing that's on that cow's head, for example, because you have to blow that open so you'll see the cow, and then that's its weak spot. And so if you can make sure as much as possible to have both of those, you know, both the firepower going on that at the same time, you can break that open faster, and you can also take the boss down faster to save time. So definitely a little bit of strategy involved there. Yeah, and the boss will, both of them will try and rush you, and when that yeah, rushes you and if you end up getting hit on there, it's best to just follow it through because you'll be invincible and keep shooting the cow for as quickly as you can before your invincibility, your iframes disappear. Right, and the other thing is, one of the things that, that, uh, people on my streams were suggesting is when you take that first hit and then you only have one forward fire, it's almost better to purposefully take another hit or two so you can get back to just the dual forward fire and then try not to take any more hits because at that point then 
you're back to at least having that strong frontal attack so that you can take out that boss a lot quicker. Now, when you're dealing with the, the five-minute mode and the actual final boss, that orb that you talked about, because it's got the spinning orbs that go around it, you don't want to stay directly in front of it that much because it shoots out this laser. But you can destroy those orbs that uh, circle it, and so you can get as much forward firepower in its face as you can, but then also make sure that you're maximizing what you're able to hit with your diagonal shots as well, because then you'll be able to take out those orbs faster and, you know, get it closer to death. So definitely, definitely some strategy involved there as well. Yeah, definitely some strategy. Yes. <laughs> uh, now, Zoido cleaned house as expected. He In the two-minute mode, he got 34,000 140 points, and in the five-minute mode, he got 91,180 points. I gotta go back and watch that run again, because I'm guessing he ended up getting both both of the 5,000-point mid-boss bonuses. He probably got all of the other hidden bonuses, and he probably really super-optimized his run. I felt pretty good with my final run of the month, when I got 80,000 points even and managed to take out the the final boss and, you know, complete the five-minute mode, so to speak, with, uh, with that 80,000-point run. I felt pretty good about that, but 91,000 points. I mean, you really have to be booking it across the screen and absolutely getting every possible point opportunity that you can to, to really manage that. So hats off to Zoido for super optimizing it. Yes, definitely. Congratulations. Yeah. Oh, and we should quickly shout out uh, our other participants were Cork and Faux Macho. Thank you both for for uh, for joining in with that. Uh, speaking of Faux Macho, he, he did offer some, uh, some good final thoughts here on the game. Uh, he says, uh, I was just able to get two-minute score... A touch better at uh, 29,530 and got a five minute uh, score of 65,230. Uh, I was never able to off the five minute final boss, but I did get close. I've never played much of any caravan shooter, but this really was fun, so I hope there's one in the future of the club. The game's visuals were really great, really sharp looking for a Master System game. Health and power being tied together was a great choice, too. I found myself restarting less than I might usually when aiming for a high score because it was fairly easy to rebound from an early mistake. I like playing with trying to defeat waves ASAP since the next immediately spawns, but it all seemed to average out in the end for me. I'm not sure exactly how that worked. Would the bosses always spawn at the same time, but if you played fast you could get a few more waves and points in? And uh, the answer to that is yes. Uh... The one small complaint I have is the sound effect when you take a hit is very slight, especially if you are hitting enemies at the same time. It would take me an extra mo moment to notice I got depowered, and then I was maybe missing the next power-up. Oh, and I wish I read the manual sooner, because it took me too long to learn about the speed toggle button. <laughs> and he ends his little comment there saying, Like every other game ever made, put this on the Switch! <laughs> 
Uh, so it sounds like Fomacho enjoyed it. Yeah, I think everybody who tried enjoyed it. I w- wish that this would have a bigger audience. I think it was really well done. Yeah, I, I was hoping that because of the, you know, the brief nature of the game and the fact that it was caravan, two minute, five minute, that we would have a little bit greater participation. But I get it. You know, even even in 2020 with uh, all of the changes and everything in terms of shopping and holiday get-togethers and that, you know, people are still busy. So I, I understand that there was going to be less participation. Uh, but I certainly hope that people listen to this episode and go check it out because the ROM is free and you can throw it into an emulator, put it on the Mr., you know, most Genesis flashcards I can ever drive or whatever, support Master System games, and give this a try, because I was really surprised by this game, and it definitely... I was surprised at how much fun I was having with it, um, having not really dug into any kind of caravan shooter before. Uh, and so it, I was I was pleasantly surprised. I definitely enjoyed this more than I thought I would. Yeah, this is a really good game that's put to, really well put together. I especially like the nice touch of the Japanese menu, as opposed to English, depending upon what version uh, Master System you're playing on. And I, I, I echo your statements that this game costs nothing but time and gives nothing but pure enjoyment. All right. Well, instead of doing a separate episode like we did last time, we thought... This time, we would go ahead and just roll into our top five of 2020. Um, Just looking back at the 12 games that we played last year and pick the top five that we played and, and, uh, you know, just sort of rank them. So, right out of the gate, I'm going to come out number five with Fantasy Zone. This is a game I have been playing in some form for a long time, Uh, but when I really dug into the game, particularly because I made sure that I had multiple ports of it to play through, and particularly spending a lot of time on the, the newer Switch Sega Ages release, I found that the game was both deeper than I thought it was, but also more approachable than perhaps I had originally anticipated. I remember this game being difficult when I was a kid, and I could only get maybe two or three stages in. And of course, most of that was me playing on the janky Tengen NES version, but realistically, uh, I just never got very far with it. I always enjoyed playing it, but I just never got very far. And this time around, digging my heels in, and being a little bit more serious about my approach, you know, I really found a lot to like between the, the colorful graphics, the whimsical atmosphere, the awesome soundtrack, and formidable challenge as well. And even though I, I only came away with one version, C, uh, one CC of the Master System version, I came close on both the Turbo Graphics and the arcade version. And I feel like I could probably squeeze those out if I just put a little bit more time into them. And so I I have a renewed sense of appreciation for Fantasy Zone. And a renewed hatred for the NES port. No, I wouldn't say that. Just 
better perspective, I think. Because I, oh. I always felt like people kind of dumped on the, the Tengen NES game unfairly. Now, I think it's not it's not so much unfair as it is maybe uh, just too pointed. You know, I think there are things to like about the NES version. I think the, the Tengen version has better colors than the Sunsoft Famicom version, and I think the sound of music is better. But certainly, there were sacrifices made, and the game was worse for it. But I think I still think it's worth playing, particularly because it's not very expensive. But it's definitely not an ideal version to play. Yeah, I would definitely echo those statements. If you're going to play, play the Switch or the Saturn version. Yeah. So what about you? What's your number five? Number five is Darius or Darius Twin, which really surprised me because it it's one of those games that is still very, very cheap, but it's so accessible and it was one of the ones that I enjoyed replaying, even though a lot of the paths were just like, oh, look, the water's now green. But, <laughs> and the claw, you know, the, the, the crab is now blue. But it was so accessible. And even though it was an early title, it was something that I still had a lot of enjoyment for. And I didn't mind going through the stages over and over and over again. I especially like the, um, the coffee break room check out when everyone was trying to get, get, <laughs> get through that, including me, the, the coffee break room for the bosses and just the different strategies on there. And, even on the Super Nintendo, having a STG where you could have exciting two-player simultaneous is still something of a rarity. And, and when you get that where it's mixed with good gameplay, I... It shines through. It's still extremely cheap to pick it up. So I, I highly recommend it. And it made my list because it was one of the more surprising titles that we've picked up, but also one of the more accessible. And I hope more people give it a shot. Yeah, you know, this is one of those games that I've I've been enjoying for a long time. And it didn't make my list because, for a couple of reasons. Number one... It's a game I like, but it's not one that I think holds up quite as well as some of the other older titles that we've played. And also, again, having dug into the game a lot more seriously now, I can start to see some of the problems with it. You know, some of the bosses have really obvious and very exploitable safe spots, and then... I call that fun jank. <laughs> it is kind of fun, Jack. I, I will agree with that. But then, you know, the huge difficulty spike in the last stage with either attempting to take on all those enemies and just being totally outgunned or fly up to the top right corner and stand in the safe spot until the crab comes along and then, you know... Then fight a walrus. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's there's enough jank and enough stuff in the game that I think was maybe I don't know if I want to say a lack of quality control at Taito no uh, or or if it's but just I get it. you know there's just enough jank in there that I think it's not top 5 material but it is a game that I still really enjoy and appreciate and I was glad to have played it and you know got the clear during this last year 
because it was one that I had come close to clearing a couple of times in the past and just never pulled it out. So I was glad to buckle down and get it done now. I mean, I was expecting to water down our cage port, and that's not what I got, which really surprised me, and that's why it's on that list, because I want more people to give it a shot and try it out, especially because the barrier to entry is so low. Absolutely. All right, why don't we go with your... What's your pick for number four? So my number four is Kamui. And like Fantasy Zone, this is a game I've known about forever. You know, I don't think I, I knew about it right when it came out, but it was within just a few years that I had a copy of the Dojin release and, you know, probably in the early to mid-2000s, I want to say. And I was, I've been enjoying this game for probably the last 15 years. And so when we came back to it, it had been several years since I had really put any any major time into it. But I always kind of felt like it was a solid homage to Rayforce, but, you know, not much more than that. Now, I think having put more time into it and really examined it a little bit more closely, I feel like it has enough of its own identity, despite how much it, how much is borrowed from the Ray series, you know, mechanically, visually, uh, and, you know, just in sort of the whole approach... I think it has enough of its own identity that it's a good game in its own right, and I was surprised at how much more depth there is, and also how forward-thinking the game is. Game was in some ways all those years ago when it has a practice mode for the different levels, and you know, with a more a more defined scoring system with the multiplier and everything. And so for me, that was, that really kind of put it over the edge in terms of making my list, because once again, I came away with a, a new appreciation for a game that I played for years and just sort of enjoyed casually, but never really, never really looked at very seriously because it was a, a free Dogen game that I had all those years. But again, I think that's one of the things that I'm really appreciating about this Shmup Club is concentrating on a game and really digging into a game to kind of see what makes it tick has given me a greater appreciation for several of these games uh, just because it it really makes me examine them a, a lot more specifically just to kind of understand them better. So... Yeah, I, Kamui, I was surprised at how much I enjoyed Kamui, despite what some of the frustration that I displayed on my streams might have uh, communicated. I I was enjoying it, and I really feel like, even though I didn't get a clear during the course of the month, I feel like this is a game that, if I put a little bit more time and effort into it, I could probably come away with a with a solid clear and even with a, you know, reasonably good score, because I think I have a pretty good understanding of of how to optimize the uh, the multiplier. Yeah, I mean, I really have to echo that I do like the fact that we do more than surface level check 
in for for this and it's caused me to reevaluate everything including my number four I'll get into but I first want to say I could definitely see with Kamui why you like it. it it's a very well put together game <laughs> to me but to me it just didn't seem to really hit in the mark where like oh yeah I have to play this again versus some of the others on there it's still a very well put together game and if I were to rank it I'd probably rank it number six on my list I, I it just doesn't call to me personally but I, I could definitely see why it would call to you especially with being so close or homage or maybe more like a carbon clone in some ways to, to the Ray series it's definitely something that somebody should check out and take a look at and have within their STG portfolio. Right. Particularly because the the Tale of Altinex trilogy of games is constantly on sale on Steam, and they can be picked up so cheap. And all three of them are good games, so I, I think it's kind of a no-brainer. Yeah, d- definitely something work recommended to pick up on a Steam sale. My uh, number four has to be Fantasy Zone. Is it's about is something that I'd only played on the periphery and played the NES version. I don't think I played the arcade, but I did have a chance to try the Master System version a couple different times. But it was something I played maybe the first stage, maybe the first two stages, and thought, oh, that's pretty cool. But never really got in depth. And when I scratched the surface, I found something that was cute and cuddly on the outside but it's sort of hard as nails the closer you got to the center and i appreciated that challenge and like the different variations of a theme that the different console ports brought to it and really what would recommend it to any age group it's one of those things where it's violent but it's cartoon violent and we don't so it's not like something that that you, it's something you can play down with your little brother and there, but it's something that you can also play with adults and they'll get a lot of enjoyment, which is pretty rare. It also boasts one of the most strangest and uh, melancholy endings I've ever seen in an SDG. Yeah, yeah, it's a bit of a downer, but it's kind of a nice contrast to the visual the aesthetic. Yeah, it, 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 again, it's one of those games that will appeal from K to A and is highly recommended. Absolutely. Well, moving on to my number three, uh, I went with UN Squadron. And I think for a couple of reasons. Number one, I always felt this game was too difficult. And I think some of that was maybe because I was approaching it wrong. Uh, but also because I I just didn't really play it very seriously. You know, I never, I'm going to keep harping on this, but I never dug in. Uh, you know, I, fire, I would fire it up, play a little bit, hit a wall pretty early, and then just kind of, wow, this game is hard, and then move on to something else. So uh, a lot of it, I think, is just taking the time to approach the game more thoughtfully and learn how to kind of how to move through the game and engage with the systems in the game and in and in this I'm talking about the super NES version but also because I had never played the arcane version 
So being able to fire that up on the Mister was a big deal, and I came away from that with a, a new appreciation for the arcade game as well, because in an age where in the transition from 8-bit to 16-bit consoles, you know, in the 8-bit area we got in the 8-bit era we got a lot of games that came home in a different form than in the arcade. You know, we saw stuff from Capcom like 1943 where the basic gameplay was the same but they changed it somewhat and they added different elements. You know, Bionic Commando was a totally different game with the same base mechanic and and overarching story, but it was it was uh, a better experience on the NES. You know, Contra was the same basic gameplay, but retooled for the NES and ultimately a better game in, in, at the home experience than what we got in the arcade. This, they kind of did the same thing with UN Squadron, where they took the idea of what they had put in the arcade, but they just expanded upon it. So it was the same game from a, from a standpoint of the essentials were all there. But the Super Nintendo version was just more and more options and more you could do. But the arcade experience, as I know you mentioned during the episode, was more streamlined and, you know, more appealing to you. And I think both visions of the game are good, and I think both versions of the game are good. And so I, once again... I came away with a, a new appreciation for UN Squadron, both in in playing it and also really learning more about the game. And so I'm actually, you know, one of the things that's coming up here pretty soon is that uh, Capcom Classic Arcade uh, deal that's going to be out on the Switch, where you can, you know, download and, and pay for the different games. And so I'm actually looking forward to uh, carrier Airwing coming to the Switch. I know Area 88 is probably never coming unless they decide to retool that somehow and redo the graphics enough so that they don't have to pay for the license. But I'm okay with that because I can play it on the Mister if I want. But yeah, I, I, I just really found that UN Squadron was a much deeper game than I realized and also something that I think we kind of took for granted back in the day when you had all these arcade experiences that were trying to be replicated on home consoles in the in the 16-bit era. And here you had a game that took the arcade game and in many ways improved upon it and expanded upon those ideas to make something that was even, even bigger and more... Grandiose isn't the word I'm, I'm thinking of, but just just more robust, I guess. Yeah, I, I wanted to. I'm going to cheat a little bit here and say that UN Squadron was also my number three pick, <laughs> and I echo those statements still. That I think that not having to buy your plane for me and having a streamlined appearance for the arcade version, I was in the minority, but I liked that more. I could see where they're coming from and appreciate all the expansions that they did is one of the things that was quickly discovered by with the Genesis is yes, you can bring the arcade experience home, but the arcade experience being brought home 
as they discovered with a, a little bit uh, with the launch titles, is not enough. Because all you end up with like the Genesis version of Strider, where you pay sixty, seventy dollars and you beat it in an hour. <laughs> <clears throat> and they're like, what? Like Space Hero Two had that problem, whereas the arcade experience brought home, which is cool. <clears throat> but the arcade games were meant to set quarters, and so that way they would take longer. If you don't have take quarters out of the equation and you beat the game in 30 minutes, you feel ripped off. <clears throat> and that, that's where I think Capcom did the smart play with Area 88 or uh, UN Squadron. <clears throat> and by expanding upon that, make it more, a little bit more, not really like RPG, but more like a strategy game in some ways, <clears throat> that it worked well. And I, I could definitely see why a lot of people like it. It does <clears throat> sort of tug at you and make, give you a little bit of a harder experience. But it's something that you'll have to sort of ease into. It's not one of those games that is quick to understand and get up front into, and you could get the gist of everything within in a couple minutes. Yeah. I was also really surprised by, I don't know if it was fatigue or stuff, but I remember reading some of the stuff on stream, and Ed at the point was really surprised at some of the reviews from, I'm not sure it was from EGM, in the time when for the CES reviews of the arcade machine, oh, people said they really hated the game. If there was just a little bit of fatigue within the arcade, didn't think it was very derivative. It was interesting, yeah. See in there, but but I I think it's one of the still one of the cheaper games on the SNES you can get as far as STGs, I, I, along with Darius Twin. I think it's worth picking up and trying. It's just you're going to have to <clears throat> give it several times in order to get accustomed to it. It's not one of the things where in five minutes you'll have seen everything. Right. Yeah, definitely one that you have to have to dig into a little bit more, a little bit more specifically. I'm looking forward to uh, Studio Mudprints doing another stream on it because he he has put enough time into it to make make everything look easy. Yeah, he really has has mastered that game over the years. All right, so moving on to number two. My number two is Zero Ranger. And I'm glad that we picked Zero Ranger to play when we did because of the the fact that the White Vanilla DLC released just shortly before we played that. Now, we didn't time it that way, it was just a game that we put on our list and decided we're going to do it this month. So it was just very, very serendipitous timing because for me, I found the white vanilla mode more approachable just because I was able to make progress a lot faster. But even so, the game, there's so much to Zero Ranger. And, you know, we talk about I talk about Kamui kind of being a a bit of a, not carbon copy, but highly derivative of the Ray series, Ray Force in particular. But with Zero Ranger, it's a lot of, it's a different approach. It's a lot of homages and send-ups of so many different shmups and so many different games. You know, you've got obvious references to Gradius and R-Type, but you've got references to several of the rising games in the intro there's the well even in the first in the first stage when you've got the birds flying out i think that's probably a battle garega reference which i didn't know 
until this month that we're playing Battle Gorega because of a secret that's in the game. And so I'm guessing that's a Gorega reference. But there are so many little nods and references and homages throughout the game that it is very neat to kind of play through and see all the different things that it references. But it's not just that it references these things or that it borrows all these elements. It's also a really well-constructed game. And it has an interesting approach to the weapon system that offers a fair amount of flexibility in how you play it. It's got a kickin' soundtrack. It's got a unique graphical style that is purposely minimalistic in some ways, but I think it works well for the sort of vibe that they're going for with the game. And it's just a really, really well done game that for a small studio of, I think, essentially two people is a top quality shooter that more people need to play and that really needs recognition because it's a great game. I I wish I would have done a little bit better with the base game, but I was happy to at least see the end of White Vanilla and reach the, the true last boss a couple of times during the course of the month. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to echo those statements and say that the most surprising one on there of this year had to definitely be Zero Ranger. It's just, it does homage it, but it's not like a carbon copy. It's, it's not very heavy-handed. It goes, remember this, remember this. It, it, it puts them in there, and they're more like little fun bonus items where the game is totally its own thing, and there are so many different layers to the gameplay in this where you're constantly switching. I mean, a good shmup should keep you focused in between. Like we always say, like, a good Don Maku should keep you focused in between dealing with your popcorn and going back to focus fire for your middle on there. It should always give you, like, a 1-2 or a 1-2-3 type method. Like, you're trying to keep a beat on there. And this game, with its multiple different weapons and the ways that you want to apply them, really gives you a good variety and always gives you action. I don't think that there are that many down spots in the game. It, it, it's very keeps the action flowing at almost at any given time. It's not always fast, and it's not always frenzy, but it, the action's always flowing. There's always something to do. You don't ever feel like things are dead or that you're f feeling overpowered at a given time. Yeah, I think the pacing of the game is is very well done. It almost feels like a game, a weird game of chess or in some way. It, it, I know you mentioned R-typing, but it reminds Reminds me a lot of the pattern memorization, especially with the green-orange yeah. way of pattern memorization of your older STGs, which I thought was really... Okay, so this guy's going to come here, this guy's going to come here, I have to deal with this. And then, then you discover something like, oh, I can get behind this guy, and then I can fire backwards, or I can do this. There's enough variety in these that you can experiment and try different stuff. And the soundtrack still sticks in my head. It's very well done. There, I, I think it stands as a testament that people like Jamers were doing uh, videos on the on this game to it, and the you know some of the hardest of the hardcore who are actively playing this game that gives some proof of its uh, pedigree 
and, and as you I mentioned, two two people did this. Amazing. Yeah, it, it's just a it's quite an achievement. Yeah, and I highly recommend anybody who likes STGs and looking for something a little along the lines a little different to give it a try because I know that there are if you want Damakus, Steam has you covered, but if you want something that's different and appealing and interesting, definitely give Zero Ranger a try. Yeah. In fact I would have to say that Zero Ranger would have been number one on my list if it weren't for a cave game this year. <laughs> yes. And that brings us to uh, number one, which I think is probably going to be a bit anticlimactic, but it still needs to be said. Dodonpachi. <laughs> we didn't play that this year. <laughs> uh, but we did play Ketsui. This game is one of those games that just sort of draws you in and doesn't quite let go. I didn't play nearly as much Ketsui this year as I was planning to, but I really was trying to dig in early in the year, and, you know, I had lofty goals of trying to get a one-all by the end of the year and possibly even reach the one of the second loops. You know, I was, I was thinking maybe trying to get to the Omote loop, but... I ultimately I didn't get anywhere near there. You made it to stage three and said, "Well, darn it." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, in a way, I, I got to stage three, and I have trouble with the crisscrossing bullet patterns. So it was it was difficult enough dealing with the the grenade bombs of the stage two boss, but the crisscrossing pattern from the large battleship in stage three is. It's a lot to deal with. Yeah, it, it, it really is your typical cave game where stage one, everyone's like, oh, okay, this is good. Stage two, like, yeah, we're, we're getting through. We've got a couple engines to fire, but we're getting through. And stage three is, ah, oh, heck no. <laughs> yeah, st- stage three is, is uh, kind of where you start to look at that and go, how does anybody dodge this? <laughs> Yeah, it took a lot of practice for stage three for me to get anywhere near the point where I could do. Yeah, you know, there's so the mid bosses and stuff comes up frantic, and then, or not the mid boss, but the medium sized enemies in there can really do some damage real quickly. Yeah. You let them box you in, and then you have that battleship in the middle that is a first real test to see if, if you're going to hit a wall and say nope, or if you're going to continue on with the game. And even then, you, there's some str- strategy around how you take that boss out in order to maximize your points on there. There's just so much going on in that game that makes it you want to come back to it constantly. And it's like one more quarter, those cave at the top of their game. Yeah, but I mean, despite my own difficulty in making a lot of progress with it, it's still so appealing. You know, the, the system for the game is very simple uh, to grasp um, in terms of how your weapons work. The scoring system I found to be engaging, and it really pushed me into started, starting to get into that realm of doing things like point blanking and rushing into groups of enemies. You know, I never, I never really did that before, and... You know, because a lot of the a lot of the shooters that you, that we played as kids were 
hang back toward the end back of the screen or the bottom of the screen or maybe not quite the middle but you know away from the middle a little bit and make sure because you know with all these games that had aimed bullets and enemies that would come in and try to snipe you from the side or wherever this was a whole a totally different approach and so getting yeah. into that mindset of going in and and rushing enemies and point blanking and not just because it was for your benefit from a survival standpoint but how closely that's married to the concept of scoring is really appealing to me now of course there are moments in the game where you want to leave certain enemies alive longer so that you can you know use them to kind of restart your your chip chains and things like that but that's you know high level high level scoring that is kind of the thing that you can get to down the road once you've once you've really learned the game uh, and are able to kind of get that first loop clear but the fact that it the game is good enough to kind of give you both options in the sense of you're doing this thing that is good for survival but also good for scoring and so it synergizes those elements nicely right up front but then you can sort of exploit that down the road as you learn more deeply how that all works together so that you can even further maximize your score and so it just as a layer of depth that uh, some games just can't bring to the table. And then you add on top of that the the cool design, the awesome soundtrack, and, you know, really good pacing and everything. And I think it's pretty easy to see why this game is, is number one. Yeah, awesome soundtracks, I would say. Well, true, soundtracks. At least if you're talking about the, uh, the PS4 release. Yeah, or the M2 release. Yeah, it's... Definitely way up there and something that surprised me. It's really interesting to see, as you had previously mentioned, how you want to stay either near the back or hug the bottom. Or basically, as a general rule, stay stay in the lower three quarters of a screen. Right. And interesting to see how that plays upon that with the point blanking by getting as close as you possibly can and destroying an enemy on there. Or dealing and shooting off different parts of an enemy, so that way you can maximize your point value. There's a lot of stuff going on in that game and a lot of strategy. It's not just about learning the best route. It's learning what you need and what enemy where. And there are points where if you follow a certain path you take too long, the certain enemies won't show up. So there's just so much going on in the game to keep it really fun. And it's not overly hard to get into it. I, th- I think the best way of summing up is easy to get into, difficult to master, and that's a qu- hallmark of a great game. Absolutely. So, uh, I take it that's your number one as well. Oh, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's go on to honorable mention here. What were your honorable mentions? Um, yeah, for me it was two things. Uh, it was Gyrus, because, once again... It was another one of those games that I hadn't really dug into that much. I had played it some, enjoyed it some, felt it was maybe harder than it needed to be, and then, you know, didn't come back to it. Coming back it's okay to, to it, say you were seduced by the mullet. 
Well, the mullet was def definitely a factor, but uh, coming back to it, learning about some of the hidden weapons and just really concentrating on this game for a little bit made me realize, I think more clearly, why this game is so divisive. You know, there are some people who consider this one of the best shooters of the 16-bit era. And then there are other people who think it's totally overrated. And having focused on the game for a month and played it a ton, I can kind of see both viewpoints. You know, the game has a solid soundtrack that I think is pretty good. The game has nice graphics. It has that cool weapon system. You know, it's got it's got challenge. It's got varied environments. And it has a lot going for it. I do think it has some weaknesses that keep it from, in my mind, being a top-tier game of the era. But it's it's definitely a game that I'm glad that we that we included. I'm glad we played it. I'm glad I came back to it. And even though I didn't quite get the 1cc, you know, I managed to clear it with two credits, it was still a game that I, f I felt was worth was worth putting the time into uh, to, really, to really dig into because I, I think it's probably it's probably a better game than some people give it credit for, but maybe not quite as top tier as some people say. So I think I'm I'm gonna tease out a little bit and say that I don't hold to either view. I think it's probably somewhere in between. Uh, my other honorable mention would be Flight of Pigarus. I, like I said earlier, I was just totally surprised by how much I enjoyed this game and the quality of it and how I just really latched onto this game during, during the last month of the year. And even though I didn't stream and play it as much as, as I would have liked, because again, I got busy, but I liked it well enough that, you know, I'm sitting here thinking, I wonder if Kage-san has any plans to expand upon this idea, because I would love to see a fully fleshed out Pigaris game with that character and with a similar kind of style, but with defined levels and, you know, sort of a similar kind of easy system to learn but maybe with a little bit more nuance. And uh, I could totally see something like that working really well. But in the meantime, I'm looking forward to getting that cartridge in the mail uh, because I really feel like this is the kind of thing that I want to see people being rewarded for their efforts. And I really think this game is quality enough that I want to see more from this, uh, from this developer. What about you? Yeah, me. Well, I, Gaius, I, I liked it, but it, it, I don't think it would be either love or hate for me on that one. It's sort of middle of the road. It's definitely worth trying out, and I really like the Taz system, and, and thought it was pretty neat. And the the vacuum cleaner boss, but it, <laughs> it's. You know, it, it's an interesting game. I, I think it just get it gets a lot of praise, maybe because of its pedigree with renovation and, and on there versus. But there, in my mind, there's certainly better stuff like Thunder Force Four, right? On the the Genesis or Mega Drive, 
it's still a worthwhile game. I'm just my it didn't quite meet the lofty expectations I had going into it. Sure, but that could be my fault versus the games on there. But my my most surprising game of this year still had to be Pigris as well. I was expecting something sort of like a short term, like hey, this will be neat to play. But it, it really surprised me with its depth and its gameplay, and there it really felt like this could have been a commercial release. There, I, I think that maybe as you mentioned, with a little bit more of a more structured level progression and maybe a, just a quick job for the story, it could have turned out to be a game that would end up as a indie title on the Switch or an indie. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Well, what do we have coming up next? Taxes. <laughs> uh, don't remind me. That's exactly what I've got coming up next. <laughs> okay, but what shmup do we have coming up next? <laughs> oh, okay. The shmup for January 2021 is the infamous Battle Grega. Coming to us by the Arcade, the Saturn... And recently, the PS4 by Shot Triggers. Yes, and that will also be, like Katsui for 2020, that will be our high score challenge game for 2021. Uh, I don't yet have the the structured score sheet up yet, but um, we'll try to get that done here, hopefully very soon, so that we can get the categories defined. Yeah, I'll just put Mark MSX on all of them. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and coming up in February 2021, we have Under Defeat for the Dreamcast. Now, are we accepting the Under Defeat HD? Yes, because Under Defeat HD is basically the same game. Uh, apparently, there was some DLC for the PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360 versions. But anyway, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I think it would be important for us to talk about the whole experience, if you will, of uh, Under Defeat. And I, I don't think you can really you can really get the full experience unless you play both the Dreamcast version, which is essentially the Naomi version, uh, just, you know, brought home, and then the HD version. I got the, the, that meme in my mind of the, the tacos, and there's, you know, crunchy or soft. Why not have both? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, now, of course, the PS3 version is what we got here in the United States or in North America. The 360 version uh, is only was only in Japan. And, of course, the Dreamcast version was only a Japanese release. So keep that in mind when you're when you're looking for a copy. But I think it's it'll be, uh, you know, spoiler alert. I think it'll be well worth your time. Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to trying both versions. I, I've had a chance to play the PS3 version just shortly here, but I'm looking forward to jumping. I think that the Dreamcast version supports the VGA cable, if I remember correctly. It does, and it looks fabulous. Yeah, excellent. Speaking of fabulous, I'd like to shout out Studio Mudprints for the logo, Kogusu for the intro and outro music, everyone at RFGen and the RFGen Playcast, as well as everyone who joined us for the month of December 2020. I'd like to shout out Metalfro and his dogs for keeping things always interesting on stream. <laughs> yes. 
And uh, speaking of which, uh, there are several ways to connect with us. You can follow us on Twitter at ShootCoreCast, or you can follow me directly at GameBoyGuru. Uh, join RFGeneration.com and join us for a Shmup Club playthrough. Uh, it's all free to sign up. Uh, if you would, please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on your preferred platform. And as uh, I do try to look for those over the over the course of the month, so if I see one of those come in, uh, we will go ahead and and read that on the podcast. Uh, and again, join the Discord. The link is on the front page of rfgeneration.com. And check out our dedicated Shoot the Corecast topic, where we discuss shmups in general, the podcast episodes, but also the shmup that we're playing. And uh, some of the participants like to drop their high score pictures in there. I do that a lot, too, just because it's easy to, to drop those in there. And then I can, uh, you know, download them from there and format them to then throw them up on the forum as well. Um, we have a link tree site that will make it much easier to connect to the various feeds that we have. So for the particular service that you use to get the podcast, whether that's Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, etc., you can get links to all that stuff from linktr.ee slash shootthecorecast. Uh, and that'll, that'll get you links to all of our stuff, including the Redbubble shop where you can get a t-shirt. And, as Addicted mentioned, follow me on Twitch, uh, twitch.tv slash gamboy so that you can get notifications of new streams and come watch me play the shmup of the month and die repeatedly. I would also like to shout out DJ Cycle M1 on Twitch. We get to see a Midwestern man and his cat battle the elements and arcade games for your entertainment. Yes. It's been a lot of fun watching him grapple with Katsui and <clears throat> Escaluda and Parodius. All sorts of different STGs on there, which are all the official arcade boards. <clears throat> it's definitely well worth the time to see in, well, especially, hey, I gotta say the cat's the star of the show. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, it's worth it to do and a fun time for all. Yeah, and, and the month of December, uh, he was basically showing off at least one new shooter every month, uh, or every week, and most weeks it was two. So he debuted several games, and it was really a, a fun month to watch and see all these new new games come into his collection and, you know, fun stuff to, to kind of watch and cheer him on as he's playing. Anything else that we need to uh, touch on quick before we get out of here? I'd just like to say thank you for listening and thank everyone who participated. I hope you enjoyed. Alrighty, we'll see you next time. <laughs>